0: Thank you very much. Let's take God's word together this evening and open it up once again to the Old Testament book of Judges. Judges chapter 13, we'll pick up where we left off this morning. And really with with the passage we read this morning already. But Judges 13, let's read together again from verse 15. And we'll read down to verse 23. Just a few verses here this evening. Judges 13, we began this morning to study the life of Samson and considering the condition of the world that he was born into, the, the condition of God's people. When we come to verse 15, this is after the angel of the Lord, which we believe to be the Lord himself, appearing unto Manoah and his wife to bring them tidings of the birth of this son, a deliverer. In verse 15, Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, I pray thee, let us detain thee until we shall have made ready a kid for thee. And the angel of the Lord said unto Manoah, Though thou detain me, I will not eat of thy bread. And if thou wilt offer a burnt offering, thou must offer it unto the Lord. For Manoah knew not that he was an angel of the Lord. And Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, What is thy name? And when thy sayings come to pass, we may do thee honor. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Why askest thou thus after my name, seeing it is secret? Or literally, it is wonderful. Some have made a connection there between that ninth chapter of Isaiah, when we hear about our Lord's name. Thou shalt call his name Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God. Why askest thou after my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took a kid with a meat offering and offered it upon a rock unto the Lord. And the angel did wondrously. And Manoah and his wife looked on. For it came to pass, when the flame went up toward heaven from off the altar, that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. And Manoah and his wife looked on it and fell on their faces to the ground. But the angel of the Lord did no more appear to Manoah and to his wife, Then Manoah knew that he was an angel of the Lord. And Manoah said unto his wife, We shall surely die because we have seen God. But his wife said unto him, If the Lord were pleased to kill us, he would not have received a burnt offering and a meat offering at our hands. Neither would he have showed us all these things Nor would, as at this time, have told us such things as these. We'll stop our reading there tonight. I want to speak this evening about two extreme views of God. We find these views in this story, the account given of Samson. One extreme view of God is the extreme view of the severity of God. But on the flip side, some people hold an extreme view of the grace of God. And it is possible to hold one of those two views out of balance and to a a degree of extremity. Most people get an improper view of God in one of these two areas. And both are just as wrong as the other. But there is an appropriate combination of both. There's a perfect blend of the severity of God, the holiness of God, and the goodness or the grace of God. There's a beautiful combination and balance of both of these concepts that we find in God's Word. May God give us tonight an understanding of the holiness of God and give us faith in the grace of God at the same time. In our story of Samson, we have all three of these views displayed. An extreme view of the severity of God. An extreme view of the grace of God. And a perfect combination. But let's look together tonight at the first one. An extreme view of the severity of God. And you could say that this was the way that Manoah was believing and looking at God. Manoah was a true Israelite. His name means rest. He's from the tribe of Dan. Interestingly, the word Dan or the name Dan means judge. So, in his very tribe's name, he has the idea that God is judge. Every time he says, I'm Manoah of the Danites, he's saying, I am Manoah from the judges. A constant reminder that God is judge. Every time he identified his lineage. And not only that. But the scriptures tell us in verse 2. That he came from the city of Zora, Which literally means a hornet. He lived in the city. You can imagine of the hornet sting. So he was from the tribe of judges. And he lived in the city. Where there was a sting. If you messed up. You can imagine everywhere he went. There was a reminder of the severity of God. God was holy. God was just. And one day you're going to meet that God. He had a. Great upbringing. It's an interesting thing as you consider Manoah being a child of God, being an Israelite. He had an upbringing in the things of God. And usually if somebody grows up in religion, in Christianity I'm referring to, if people grow up together in that kind of a, a faith, they often lean towards this view of God. If from a child, not always, but if from a child they were raised with with an understanding that there's a God and one day they shall meet God in judgment and, and they understand the scriptures and they oftentimes tend to have this kind of a view of God, not always, but often. And so it was with Manoah. He had a rich, God fearing heritage, he knew the scriptures. He's told we're told here that he looks to his wife after they see the angel of the Lord ascend in the flames. They immediately fall to their faces. He looks to his wife and says, We are dead. We shall surely die, for we have seen God. Now here's a man. Where did that come from? He obviously knew the scriptures. Here's a man who knew the word. He knew the account given. He he probably knew the story of Exodus 33 and verse number 20. Let me read the verse for you. And he said, thou canst not see my face. Moses and God. Do you remember God passing by when Moses was there on the mount? Wanting to look upon the face of God. And God said, thou canst not see my face. For there shall no man see me and live. And here's a man and his wife who seen an angel of the Lord, and that was as good to them as seeing God Himself. And they thought, we're dead. They knew they couldn't get so close to God and live. They knew the Scriptures, but they also knew themselves. He knew Himself. He knew that He was broken. He knew that He was sinful. He knew, like the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 59, that our iniquities and sins have separated us from our God. He knew Himself. He knew how holy God was. He knew how sinful he was. And therefore he put two and two together. He said, we're dead men. In a high view, a very high view of the severity of God. By the way, that's not altogether bad. It would do us good to have a high view of God. I think today in modern society, we, we tend more towards the other extreme. The super grace movement We'll come to that in a moment We don't always have this problem But we do In fact I meet people all the time I meet people all the time And some even worship with us And I meet some When I go to the Netherlands especially But I meet people who were raised In some form of of real reverent worship And some form of a real sobriety Of heart and mind About the things of God And they often struggle With the severity of God And they doubt whether or not God loves them And they struggle with whether or not God's grace is for them. And and they tend to, to be on the extreme of the severity, the wrath, and the fear of God. We do still have it today. Some people go their whole lives doubting whether or not God is good enough to love them. Some people go their whole lives doubting whether or not God would have them. They are leaning towards a severity, an overemphasis on the severity of God. Now, that's a bad place to be. Never knowing if God's love is for you. Never knowing if God's grace is for you. Never knowing if God so loved the world includes you. That's an awkward place to be afraid of every, even breathing the wrong way, afraid that everywhere you go, God's going to strike you down with a lightning bolt from heaven. Afraid to move. It's paralyzing when you live that way. You can't really move forward because you don't really know where you are and, and you don't dare move forward for the sake of looking presumptuous in regards to the things of God. It's very crippling. Like Manoah was crippled at the moment. We're going to die. That's one extreme. Another extreme is to have an extreme view of the grace of God. Now some say this was Samson's downfall. He had faith in God's ability and strength. Samson was a man of faith. Or else he wouldn't be listed in Hebrews 11. He knew that his strength belonged to God. He believed in the grace of God, no doubt about it. But perhaps he was a little bit too loose with God's grace yes he believed that God was with him and God would never leave him in fact some of the saddest words we read in all of scripture are the, are the words that tell us when, when Samson did not even know he wished not that the Lord had departed from him and perhaps he took for granted the grace of God Perhaps he thought, you know what, I can do anything I want to do, live any way I want to live, and God will always be with me. I can shake myself as at other times and be just fine. We find this warning given to us all through the New Testament. I think the Lord knew with entering into an era we refer to after the death and resurrection of Christ, many theologians would refer to this era as the Age of Grace an amazing age to be living in it's an amazing point in human history to be living beneath and in this age and era of grace really god has always been gracious always been but we find an extra that appears to be an extra measure of grace the scriptures in the new testament speak so much especially the apostle paul about the grace of god In Romans 5 and verse number 20, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And we're told that there is no sin too big, too great, that the grace of God cannot cover. That verse has brought comfort to the heart of many of a broken, sinful person. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. But do you know God knew that we are broken, sinful people? God knew that we might be tempted to look at such a verse and say, well, if if every time I sin, the grace of God is greater than my sin, then... Who's to stop me from sinning? Knowing that as much as I can sin, the grace of God is always greater. And God knew that someone's twisted mind may be tempted to think, well, I'll go on sinning. So the very next verse, Romans 6 verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? God forbid. God forbid. And there is a movement today. There is a movement today in the Western world especially. And it is referred to as the super grace movement. And it sounds like this. Hey, you can do whatever you want to do because we are under grace. We're not under the law anymore. And therefore, live any way you want to live. There's grace. Do whatever you want to do. There's grace. Let your hair down. There's grace. It's all under the blood. There's grace. And that is the opposite view of an extreme view of the severity of God. We have the extreme view of the grace of God. Anything goes. Do what you want to do. But what a dangerous place to be. In Romans 6 verse 15, what then? Verse 14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. That's a good verse. We're not under the law, but we're under grace. What then shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Galatians 5, the apostle Paul writes to the churches of Galatia. And he says in verse number 13, listen to this verse. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Isn't that amazing? If you've been born again, you've been called to live in liberty. Freedom. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Do you know we've been given true liberty? If you've been born again, you've been given, given true liberty. And sometimes people think that that true liberty allows them to do what they want to do, to live loosely and casually. Hey, we're free. But really that freedom has given you the privilege and opportunity to love one another. You've been set free that you might serve, that you might love. That's true liberty. 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter writes the same truth. In verse number 16, he tells us in verse number 15, For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may be put, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. You're free. But don't use that freedom as an opportunity to do wrong. Use it as an opportunity to do good. That's what we're told. So you've got two extreme views. An extreme view of the severity of God. Afraid to even breathe without being struck dead. Then you have the opposite. An extreme view of the grace of God. Live how you want to live. But I believe that both truths, uh, goodness and severity of God, ought to be held in both hands. That the idea that God is holy and also that He is gracious, both must be laid hold of. And I believe this is exactly the balance that the wife of Manoah had. She also was on her face when they saw the angel of God ascending. By the way, if you're here tonight, and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Are you listening? If you're here tonight and you've never been born again, there ought to be something that runs up and down your spine when you consider the holiness and severity of God. It ought to make the hair stand up on the back of your neck to think that one day you will stand before God who is judge. And it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God are you ready for that day? But at the same time, there's grace. There's grace today. I don't know about tomorrow because I don't know if you'll live tomorrow. And I, don't, I do not know if we'll have tomorrow. And therefore, I cannot promise you that you'll have grace tomorrow. But I can tell you that right now, at this moment, the door is open. His arms are open wide. And here is a woman, the wife of Manoah, who had a good concept, a good balance. The angel of the Lord ascended. She was on her face in a proper fear and reverence before God. There she was in reverence before God. When her husband said, we're going to die because we've seen God, his wife immediately responded, if the Lord were pleased to kill us, three things she said, he would not have received A burnt offering and a meat offering at our hands. That's an indication that God received them. Not only that. Neither would he he have showed us all these things. Revelation of God. And not only that. Nor would he as at this time have told us such things as these. The word of God. Here's a woman who was thinking soundly. She She revered God. She fell down in reverence before God. She feared God. By the way, can I just remind you that it's the fear of God that is the beginning of knowledge and the beginning of wisdom. We must have a fear of God. I do do not believe there's any salvation without it. The 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 psalmist and Solomon in Proverbs says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge. It's not the end of it; it's the beginning. You're not supposed to stop there at the fear of God. That's where you begin. You're not supposed to get to the fear of God and shake your whole way up to heaven. You begin with the fear of God. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. And you move on, never leaving it behind, but bringing it with you and adding to it. Building on it. The fear of God is a good place to begin, not a good place to stop. This woman had an appropriate view of God. She feared God and therefore had wisdom and knowledge. But she also believed that here was a God that was doing things with intentionality and purpose. And she believed in the word of God. God would not have said these things if he didn't mean to do something. He would not have revealed these things. She recognized the revelation of God in her life. Would you look this way for a moment? Are you willing to acknowledge the revelation of God in your life? I don't know how many times God has to reveal himself to us before we finally bow the knee and acknowledge God for who he is. I feel so sorry for some people. God has been so good and so kind and so patient and has spoken so many times to them, but yet they still don't know. And I fear for them that on the judgment day, God shall say, I spoke to you this day, this day, this day, that sermon, that sermon, this sign, this sign, this sign. And he refused to see it. Here's a woman, both Manoah and his wife saw the same thing, but she acknowledged the revelation of God. She acknowledged the word of God. I think we're living in a very faithless generation. God reveals himself so many times in so many different ways, and we're just, we're just too sophisticated to acknowledge it. And we would rather put it down to chance than we would to God. We would rather say, well, that was a coincidence, wasn't it? Rather than say, that was God. I was speaking with a, with a man, one of Tommy's son-in-laws, at the wedding on Friday. Tommy and Maggie's granddaughter, Bridie, was married on Friday. That's, many of you have been praying for Larry Dorn, who passed away a couple of months ago. His oldest daughter was married on Friday and had the privilege of officiating the ceremony. But one of Tommy's son-in-laws said to me, we Irish people, he said, we used to grow up with a fear of God. He said, when I grew up, my father and mother, they wouldn't say anything unless they said, God willing. Or if we said, we do it unto God. It was in their vocabulary. It was in their conversation. But we're living in a day now where that kind of thinking doesn't exist anymore. That kind of an idea, we no longer acknowledge God and see Him at every turn and twist of life. Here's a woman who believed that God was revealing Himself to her And believe that God has spoken to her. How many sermons do you have to listen to. Before you're willing to say God spoke to me tonight. How many times will you sit beneath the word of God. Can I tell you. Every sermon you listen to. Will be a judgment in your ear on judgment day. Every time the gospel and the word of God is preached before you. It shall bring condemnation to you on judgment day. Unless you come to Jesus Christ now. She recognized God spoke to her. God revealed himself to her. And she recognized that God had received her. Will you believe that? To as many as received him. To them gave he the power to become the sons of God. Meaning he received them. Do you believe that? What a woman of faith. She had the proper proper balance. A fear of God and a belief in the grace of God. She knew she didn't deserve to be visited by God, but she believed he visited nonetheless with a good intention. I know the thoughts that I have towards you, God said, not thoughts to harm you or hurt you. Do you have this idea of God that God only wishes to harm and hurt you? I want you to turn with me in closing to the New Testament parable found in Luke chapter 19. It's a good place to bring an application. It's really an application that Jesus gives us. In Luke chapter 19, he gives a parable beginning in verse number 11. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem. And because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. Verse 12. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. That's Jesus. Jesus has gone into a far country. That's the kingdom of His Father in heaven. And He's gone to receive a kingdom. He's got it. And He's coming again. He's going to return. But before He left, verse 13, He called His ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. Meaning you got work to do. You, keep, you run the show while I'm gone. Can I tell you, every child of God has been given this command. Occupy till I come. Work till I come. But his citizens hated him. And sent a message after him. Saying we will not have this man to reign over us. You say I've never said that. Would you look here for a second. Every time you choose to live for yourself. Rather than Jesus Christ. You have sent the same message back to the father. Every time you live for yourself rather than the kingdom of Jesus Christ, you send the same message. We will not have this man to reign over us. Jesus will not be my king for I am king. And it came to pass that when he was returned, by the way, he will come again. Having received the kingdom. That he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money. And that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. You may wonder what did he mean by occupy till I come. Here's what he meant. Take it, invest it. Do something with the life that God has given you. Every one of us have been given, given a talent. Every one of us have been given a life. And when Jesus comes back, he's going to call us to give an account for that life. Then came the first. Saying, Lord, thy pound. Woo, he had it right. It was yours. It was never mine to begin with. Would you look here? Do you realize that? Your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price. You know that? Thy pound, he said, hath gained ten pounds. Now that's multiplication. And he said unto him, Well, Thou good servant. Well done, you could say. Thou good servant. Because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound. Again, he had the right understanding. Thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said, likewise to him, be thou over also over five cities. And another came. Here we go. Saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man. Thou takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. And he saith unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that I laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest not thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury? And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he has ten pounds. For I say unto you, that unto every one which hath shall be given grace. Grace. And from him that hath not, even that he hath, shall be taken away from him. But those my enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither, slay them before me. Now here's a man, three men. One man took the one pound, representing a life, invested it, got ten. One man took the other one, representing a life given by God. He invested it, got five. The third man took his little pound, and the scriptures say... He hid it in a napkin, put it somewhere safe, hid it away, because he thought in his mind, this man is a hard man. This is an austere man. And you know what? He's not very fair. He takes up what he didn't lay down. He reaps where he didn't sow. Tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to play it safe. I'm going to put it right here, hide it away. When he comes back, I'll give it back to him. No way am I ever going to risk losing that. The worst thing about this whole parable is that God gave him the judgment that he gave God. The problem with this third man is he had a wrong view of God, a wrong view of his master. It's amazing, these other two men, I don't really know what their view of the master was, but they at least wanted to please their master. They at least believed it was possible to please their master. They at least believed there was some reward to be gained, and in gaining ten more, they were given a reward. That's, That's God's grace. They didn't deserve a reward, but they were given a reward. And I can only believe that these men who labored and worked, they took what God had given them and invested it. I believe these men must have understood they had a good master. But here's somebody who thought the opposite. I wonder tonight how you view God. Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee. What if tonight God judged you according to your view of God? How would you be? If you have a severe view of God, that God can never be pleased, he's this strict, austere man, you can never make him happy, always trying to keep the law, like a dog with his tail between his legs, always shivering, afraid he's going to make a wrong move. Is that the way you are living your life? Maybe you're living in the other extreme. Hey, do what you want to do. Live free. Enjoy yourself. yourself. You're not living for his kingdom. You're living for yours. Can I tell you something? You're like these last ones, but under those my enemies. God calls you an enemy who says you will not have God to reign over us. God's not your king. You're your king. Your belly is your king. So God deals with that extreme as well. I will not have God to reign over me. I'm my own God. I'm my own master. Can I tell you when, when he comes The scriptures say, those enemies of mine which would not that I should reign over them, bring them hither and slay them before me. I don't know where you are today, but I hope that you can see through those both two extremes and see that there is a God who is to be feared, no doubt about it. There is a God who is to be revered, but there's also a God that is to be loved because he's a God of grace a God of mercy not willing that any should perish a God that we find in Romans chapter 2 let me read for you the scriptures tell us this let me read therefore thou art inexcusable O man whosoever thou art that judgest for wherein thou judgest another thou condemnest thyself for thou that judgest doest the same things but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things and thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Listen. Or despisest thou, do you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? The goodness of God. It is the goodness of God. It's God's giving you mercy today and God being patient with you today and God being long-suffering with you today. These words, his goodness, his forbearance and his long-suffering, do you not see that that is God calling you to repent? Or are you waiting for God to break the legs from, out from underneath of you before you repent? What are you waiting for? Can you not see that God is good? That he's patient? And that even tonight he beckons for you to come. He's holding back his wrath. He's holding back his indignation. He's holding back what we deserve so that you would humbly, by faith, bow before him and acknowledge him to be King of kings and Lord of lords. Take his grace, take his mercy. Before it's too late, before the day of grace is spent, before the throne of mercy can no longer be approached, will you come to him? Christian, may God give us a proper view of God. We can't serve him properly if we're constantly living like Manoah, thinking that God's going to kill us every time we turn around. We can't serve God. We can't move forward with God. We can't get anywhere with God as long as we're constantly thinking that God's out to get us. Has God spoken to you? Acknowledge it. Has He revealed Himself to you? Talk about it. Has He received you, accepted you into the Beloved in Jesus Christ? Then rejoice you're His child. Stop thinking that God's waiting around the corner with a big stick to get you. He loves you. You're his child. I'm hoping that God will help us to get an appropriate view of God. A right view. Yeah. So that we might move forward in liberty. Yeah. Not a liberty to sin, but a liberty to serve. Yeah. That we might be set free from our sin. Set free from our wrong perspectives of God. That we might love and serve till Christ comes back. So that when he does come back, we've got an awful lot to show. That's what He wants. Here it is, my Father glorified that you bring, that you bear much fruit. Much fruit. Would you let Him use you today? Bow your head with me, please. We'll close in a word of prayer. Father, we ask Thee to help us to get this right combination. The right amount of fear that we might Realize that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The beginning of knowledge. We'll never learn anything until we learn to fear Thee. May we learn to submit ourselves one to another in the fear of God. Teach us, Lord, how to live with a proper fear of Thee, but also help us to see that that's the foundation. And there's more. That there's much grace to swim in. There's much mercy to experience. Much revelation. Much more to be revealed to us about thyself. We pray like the Apostle Paul prayed for the Ephesians. That the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. We might see more clearly. That more would be revealed to us. We would hear thy word more clearly and believe God that you're speaking to us. Help us to be reminded every time we're a little bit afraid or fearful. Help us to be reminded that we have been accepted, received into the body and family of Christ. May that give us such liberty tonight. We pray, Lord, that our liberty would be increased. Not so that we could live sinfully, but that we might serve freely. That we might love more fully. And be greatly used of Thee. Pray that when our master returns, we might have ten times what was given to us to give back to him. A hundred times, Lord. Grant unto us multiplication like no generation has ever seen. Both in souls and Christian graces and fruits of the Spirit. Grant unto us a multiplication in every way imaginable. That when the Son of Man cometh, he shall indeed find faith in the earth. Help us to be ready, I pray. Give us an appropriate view of Thee. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen.